who was not gifted with dramatic power, but was chosen because she was small enough to be borne out shrieking by the villain of the piece. Do it this way. Clasp your hands so, and stagger across the room, crying frantically, Rodrigo, save me, save me! And away went Joe with a melodramatic scream, which was truly thrilling. Amy followed, but she poked her hands out stiffly before her and jerked herself along as if she went by machinery, and her ow was more suggestive of pins being run into her than of fear and anguish. Joe gave a despairing groan, and Meg laughed outright while Beth let her bread burn as she watched the fun with interest. It's no use. Do the best you can when the time comes, and if the audience laughs, don't blame me. Come on, Meg. Then things went smoothly, for Don Pedro defied the world in a speech of two pages without a single break. Hagar the witch chanted an awful incantation over her kettle full of simmering toads with weird effect. Rodrigo rent his chains asunder manfully, and Hugo died in agonies of remorse and arsenic with a wild ha-ha. It's the best we've had yet, said Meg, as the dead villain sat up and rubbed his elbows. I don't see how you can write and act such splendid things, Joe. You're a regular Shakespeare, exclaimed Beth, who firmly believed that her sisters were gifted with wonderful genius in all things. Not quite, replied Joe modestly. I do think the witch's curse and operatic tragedy is a rather nice thing, but I'd like to try Macbeth if we only had a trapdoor for Banquo. I always wanted to do the killing part. Is that a dagger that I see before me, muttered Joe, rolling her eyes and clutching at the air as she had seen a famous tragedian do. No, it's the toasting fork with mother's shoe on it instead of the bread. Beth's stage struck, cried Meg, and the rehearsal ended in a general burst of laughter. Glad to find you so merry, my girls, said a cheery voice at the door, and actors and audience turned to welcome a tall, motherly lady with a can-I-help-you look about her, which was truly delightful. She was not elegantly dressed, but a noble-looking woman, and the girls thought the gray cloak and unfashionable bonnet covered the most splendid mother in the world. Well, dearies, how have you got on today? There was so much to do in getting the boxes ready to go tomorrow that I didn't come home to dinner. Has anyone called, Beth? How is your cold, Meg? Joe, you look tired to death. Come and kiss me, baby. While making these maternal inquiries, Mrs. March got her wet things off, her warm slippers on, and sitting down in the easy chair, drew Amy to her lap, preparing to enjoy the happiest hour of her busy day. The girls flew about, trying to make things comfortable, each in her own way. Meg arranged the tea table, Joe brought wood and set chairs, dropping over turning and clattering everything she touched. Beth trotted to and fro between parlor and kitchen, quiet and busy, while Amy gave directions to everyone, and she sat with her hands folded. As they gathered about the table, Mrs. March said with a particularly happy face, I've got a treat for you after supper. A quick bright smile went round like a streak of sunshine. Beth clapped her hands regardless of the biscuit she held, and Joe tossed up her napkin, crying, A letter! A letter! Three cheers for father! Yes, a nice long letter. He is well and thinks he shall get through the cold season better than we feared. He sends all sorts of loving wishes for Christmas, and an especial message to you girls, said Mrs. March, patting her pocket as if she had got a treasure there. Hurry and get done. Don't stop and quirk your little finger and simper over your plate, Amy, cried Joe, choking in her tea and dropping her bread, butter side down on the carpet in her haste to get at the treat. Beth ate no more, but crept away to sit in her shadowy corner and brood over the delight to come till the others were ready. I think it was so splendid in father to go as a chaplain when he was too old to be drafted and not strong enough for a soldier, said Meg warmly. Don't I wish I could go as a drummer of Ivan, what's its name, or a nurse, so I could be near him and help him, exclaimed Joe with a groan. 
It must be very disagreeable to sleep in a tent and eat all sorts of bad-tasting things and drink out of a tin mug, sighed Amy. When will he come home, Marmy? asked Beth with a little quiver in her voice. Not for many months, dear, unless he is sick. He will stay and do his work faithfully as long as he can, and we won't ask for him back a minute sooner than he can be spared. Now come and hear the letter. They all drew to the fire, Mother in the big chair and Beth at her feet, Meg and Amy perched on either arm of the chair, and Joe leaning on the back, where no one would see any sign of emotion if the letter should happen to be touching. Very few letters were written in those hard times that were not touching, especially those which fathers sent home. In this one, little was said of the hardships endured, the dangers faced, or the homesickness conquered. It was a cheerful, hopeful letter full of lively descriptions of camp life, marches, and military news, and only at the end did the writer's heart overflow with fatherly love and longing for the little girls at home. Give them all my dear love and a kiss. Tell them I think of them by day, pray for them by night, and find my best comfort in their affection at all times. A year seems very long to wait before I may see them, but remind them that while we wait we may all work, so that these hard days need not be wasted. I know they will remember all I said to them, that they will be loving children to you, will do their duty faithfully, fight their bosom enemies bravely, and conquer themselves so beautifully, that when I come back to them I may be fonder and prouder than ever of my little women." Everybody sniffed when they came to that part. Joe wasn't ashamed of the gray tear that dropped off the end of her nose, and Amy never minded the rumpling of her curls as she hid her face on her mother's shoulder and sobbed out, I am a selfish girl, but I'll truly try to be better so he mayn't be disappointed in me by and by. We all will, cried Meg. I think too much of my looks and hate to work, but I won't any more if I can help it. I'll try to be what he loves to call me a little woman, and not be rough and wild, but do my duty here instead of wanting to be somewhere else, said Joe, thinking that keeping her temper at home was a much harder task than facing a rebel or two down south. Beth said nothing, but wiped away her tears with a blue army sock and began to knit with all her might, losing no time in doing the duty that lay nearest her, while she resolved in her quiet little soul to be all the father hoped to find her when the year brought round the happy coming home. Mrs. March broke the silence that followed Joe's words by saying in her cheery voice, Do you remember how you used to play Pilgrim's Progress when you were little things? Nothing delighted you more than to have me tie my peace bags on your backs or burdens, give you hats and sticks and rolls of paper, and let you travel through the house from the cellar, which was the city of destruction, up up to the housetop, where you had all the lovely things you could collect to make a celestial city. What fun it was, especially going by the lions fighting Apollyon and passing through the valley where the hobgoblins were, said Joe. I like the place where the bundles fell off and tumbled downstairs, said Meg. My favorite part was when we came out on the flat roof where our flowers and arbors and pretty things were, and all stood and sung for joy up there in the sunshine, said Beth, smiling, as if that pleasant moment had come back to her. I don't remember much about it, except I was afraid of the cellar and the dark entry, and always liked the cake and milk we had at the top. If I wasn't too old for such things, I'd rather like to play it over again, said Amy, who began to talk of renouncing childish things at the mature age of twelve. We never are too old for this, my dear, because it is a play we are playing all the time in one way or another. Our burdens are here, our road is before us, and the longing for goodness and happiness is the guide that leads us through many troubles and mysterious 
stakes to the peace which is a true celestial city now my little pilgrim suppose you begin again not in play but in earnest and see how far on you can get before father comes home really mother where are our bundles asked amy who was a very literal young lady each of you told what your burden was just now except beth i rather think she hasn't got any said her mother yes i have mine is dishes and dusters and envying girls with nice pianos and being afraid of people beth's bundle was such a funny one that everybody wanted to laugh but nobody did for it would have hurt her feelings very much let us do it said meg thoughtfully it is only another name for trying to be good and the story may help us for though we do want to be good it's hard work and we forget and don't do our best we were in the slough of despond to-night and mother came and pulled us out as help did in the book we ought to have our role of directions like christian what shall we do about that asked joe delighted with the fancy that which lent a little romance to the very dull task of doing her duty look under your pillows christmas morning and you will find your guide-book replied mrs march they talked over the new plan while old hannah cleared the table then out came the four little work-baskets and the needles flew as the girls made sheets for aunt march it was uninteresting sewing but to-night no one grumbled they adopted joe's plan of dividing the long seams into four parts and calling the quarters europe asia africa and america and in that way they got on capitally especially when they talked about the different countries as they stitched their way through them at nine they stopped work and sang as usual before they went to bed no one but beth could get much music out of the old piano but she had a way of softly touching the yellow keys and making a pleasant accompaniment to the simple songs they sang may had a voice like a flute and she and her mother led the little choir amy chirped like a cricket and joe wandered through the airs at her own sweet will always coming out at the wrong place with a croak or a quaver that spoiled the most pensive tune they had always done this from the time they could lisp quinkle quinkle little ta and it had become a household custom for the mother was a born singer the first sound in the morning was her voice as she went about the house singing like a lark and the last sound at night was the same cheery sound for the girls never grew too old for that familiar lullaby End of chapter one